Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 115. Psalm 115, and we'll read the whole of that passage of the Old Testament scriptures. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us, he will bless us, he will bless the house of Israel, he will bless the house of Aaron, he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. That's why we read the Word of God. The text that we consider is verse 3 of this psalm. Let me read that again. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The text, beloved, that we consider is a very brief Word of God, and the text is also very clear in its meaning, easy for us, even the children here, to understand this Word of God, and yet the text is also a very profound Word of God. And this text is profound, if for no other reason, because it sets before us a profound truth of Scripture, namely the absolute sovereignty of God, a marvelous and a rich and a comforting truth, a truth that is central to the Scriptures, 
and a truth that is central to our faith, and a truth also that serves the honor and the glory of God himself. You'll notice that's exactly what the psalmist had in mind when he mentions this truth in verse 3. In verse 1 of the psalm, he began with that expression of his desire and purpose that God be glorified, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. And then he mentions the truth that serves the glory of God. God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign. Let God be glorified. Let God be praised as the sovereign God of heaven and of earth. But notice too, beloved, that the text is a confession. This is the confession of the church, and this is the confession of all of the people of God. And it is a very personal confession. That's that's expressed in the fact that the God whom we confess here in our text and the God whose sovereignty we declare is our God, our God. And for that reason, because he is our God, we joyfully confess this concerning him. Our God does what he is pleased to do. And that makes us glad as the people who belong to him, as the people of God. Our theme as we look at this word of God and consider it together is our God doing whatever he pleases. We'll notice three things, what this means and why it is true, and then finally, our confession of it. First of all, beloved, you'll notice that the passage in our text teaches us that God does things. God is an active God. God is a God who is always at work. But our text does not simply teach us that God is doing things, that God is active, that there are some things that God is doing, but what our text very emphatically shows us, especially in the context here, is that God is doing everything, all things are done by God. What makes that abundantly clear is what is stated in the context and now specifically in the verses that follow our text. Those verses mention the idol gods. Anything and everything else that anyone may claim as being God or being a God. And verses 4 to 6 point out that these gods, these idol gods made of silver and gold, made as the work of men's hands, 
are gods that are dead and gods that are lifeless. They have hands, but they cannot do anything. They have feet, but they cannot move. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have no power. They have no ability. They can do nothing at all. And therefore, there is not one thing that happens that is done by them. And that clearly proves that God does everything. Everything that happens is done by God. There is no other God who can do anything. Our God does all things. And then with regard to God doing all things, the text focuses our attention on the past. God hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. The psalmist looks back, and we with the psalmist look back this morning to the past. Everything in the past, everything that has happened in years gone by, was the work of God. First of all, the psalmist, and we'll see that more clearly in a little while, but first of all, the psalmist looks all the way back to eternity. And concerning the works of God in eternity, the psalmist confesses God did all those works. God's working as a working God began in eternity. It began with God's decrees. It began with God's plans and the purposes that God made in eternity. It began with the all-comprehensive counsel of God, the counsel that includes election and reprobation, the counsel that includes God's decree of creation and God's decree of providence and God's plan and purpose to save the church in his Son, Jesus Christ. And the psalmist says, God hath done those things. Those were all the works of God in eternity. God alone decided all of those things without input from anyone. And then as the psalmist looks back to the past, he also has in mind, of course, the work of God in bringing everything into existence. The marvelous universe and creation in which we live, that didn't happen by chance. That was the work of God, and it came into being by the word of God's power. God hath done those things. And there are many things that have happened since then. 
Great things have happened in the creation itself. And activities have occurred between all of the nations of the world. And great things have been done and have occurred in the church and for the church of Christ in all of history. Old Testament history, the salvation of the church through the flood, the deliverance of the descendants of Abraham from the land of Egypt, the preservation of the church through the wilderness, the entrance and the victory of the church into the land of Canaan. And God in the fullness of time sending His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem that church. And the continued work of Christ in gathering and defending and preserving that church in all of the ages of world history. And then all of the events that have happened in the church itself. The truth coming to light. Heresy arising in the church. Controversy. Reformation. Baptisms that happen in the church. And confessions of faith that take place in the church. And the psalmist says, and we say with him, God hath done all these things. And more personally, we say God hath done all things in our lives. Many things have happened to me, the believer said. There are things that have happened within me. Regeneration, faith, daily repentance. Prayer and worship and thanksgiving to God and obedience to Him. There are many things that have happened in my life. Health and sickness. Joy and sorrow. Success and failure. And many times dark, dark valleys that I have walked through. God has done all these things. Ultimately, they were not caused by men. They were not caused by the devil. They were not caused by wicked people nor were they caused by you or by me to happen. But God has done all things. And yet, beloved, the main point that our text makes concerning God doing all things is this, that God has done whatsoever he Hath pleased. The text by that is referring, of course, to God's eternal counsel. 
There are many names that God's counsel is given in Scripture, counsel and plan and purpose and will and even thoughts. There's also this name that is given to the counsel of God, and this is the name that stands on the foreground in our text, namely that God's counsel is God's good pleasure. A name that means that God has planned from eternity what he himself wanted to plan. He decided things that he desires to happen. He decided that which he takes pleasure in. He decided that which he delights to do and that which he is pleased to do in all the history of the world and in every life of every child of God. Whatever he pleases. That means that God is sovereignly free to decide what he wants to do. If he wants to give us joy and pleasure and success and love and peace, and unity, and harmony, then he may do so. But if he wants to send trouble, and failure, and disappointment, sickness, and even death, he may do so. Whatever he pleases, God is not answerable to others. God does not have to take into account what men want. God is under obligation to no one. No one. He's not even under obligation to you and to me to do what we might ask him and desire of him to do. God decides and God does everything on his own. That's sovereignty. God is free to do what he pleases. When he pleases, how he pleases, and to whom he pleases. The absolute sovereignty of God. And the question is, why? That is, why now, according to the words of our text, is it true that God does what God pleases? Well, that's true because, as our text says, our God is in the heaven. Our God is not merely, simply, only upon this earth. He is not like the idol gods that are mentioned in the context here, who are completely limited, who are controlled by their worshippers, controlled by men who are creatures of the dust and who can do nothing themselves. But our God is in heaven. And God is the only God who lives there, high and exalted and above all things, and all of these other gods are simply on this earth. 
And you understand, beloved, when the text says our God is in the heavens, that's not merely an explanation of where God is, but that's pointing out to us who God is. Who is He? He is the only God. He is the only one who is in the heavens. He is the only one who is high and exalted and lifted up. He is the only one who is over all things in the heavens and upon this earth. He is the only Lord. He is the only sovereign one. And that explains why our God can do, has done, and can do whatsoever He is pleased to do. He's the only God. And as the only God, He has the ability to do what He is pleased to do. He is fully able to give life or death. He is fully able to give peace or warfare. He is fully able to send riches or poverty, sickness or health. He is the Almighty One. He has irresistible power. No one can stop God or force God to do otherwise than what God wills to do. None can stay His hand. And none can say unto him, What doest thou? But not only is it that God has the ability, our God who is in the heavens and who is the only God has the right to do whatsoever he is pleased to do. He may decide all things on his own. No one else has that right. You and I don't have that right. God alone has it. And God has no need, therefore, to work with or to pay attention to anyone else. He has the right to kill. He has the right to make alive. He has the right to build. He has the right to destroy. He has the right to give. He has the right to take away. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do in the church. And he has the right to do whatever he wants to do to you and to me personally. He has the right to turn our lives upside down. He has the right to disrupt all of our purposes and plans and goals in life. He has the right to cause disappointment. He has the right to make you and me struggle. He has the right to has the right to give us grief of soul and of mind. When he does those things the perspective that the text teaches us to take is this. God has done it. This is the work of God. 
And who am I to question him? And who am I to complain and to be dissatisfied with God? God is God. I'm not God. He is. That's the fundamental issue. Who is God? He is. And he may do whatever he pleases, even to you and to me. And yet, beloved, we are not fatalistic. We live by faith. And as we live by faith, that gift work in our hearts by the grace and the Spirit of God, then it, then it is not a hardship for us to say this. And the reason it's not a hardship for us to say this is because the God who does all things and the God who does whatever he is pleased to do, even if it's different from what we might be pleased for God to do, is the God who is doing all of those things for our good. The psalm itself points that out. We must notice that and not miss what the psalm mentions that God is always pleased to do. We can say that God is pleased to do whatever God wants to do, but God doesn't work randomly. God doesn't work haphazardly, but God has a purpose in everything that God is pleased to do. And we see what that purpose is, first of all, in verses 9 through 11 of this psalm. What is that purpose? He is their help and their shield, verse 9. Verse 10, he is their help and their shield. Verse 11, he is their help and their shield. The purpose of God, first of all, as expressed in this psalm, is to help and to shield his church. His people. He is that. Your help. Your shield. Even when it doesn't seem though, seem so, that is what God is doing. Helping. Shielding. He always will. He will never fail to help, and he will never fail to shield his church and his people because that church is precious to him, and his saints are precious to him in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life to redeem that church to God. God cannot do anything else but help and shield his church. He cannot destroy. He cannot ruin his beloved sheep. He can, and he will help and shield them. He will. And what else is it God's good purpose to do for his church and for you and me? In verses 12 through 15, we read his purpose is to bless. 
five times there in those verses. He will bless us. He will bless us. God is saving and God is blessing his people. Blessing, blessing, and even more blessing from God. All the blessings of salvation, all the blessings of God's love and kindness and faithfulness to his people in Jesus Christ. All the riches of God's grace to us. Our redemption, our forgiveness, our sanctification, our preservation in our salvation. The love and the faith and the hope that God gives. Blessing upon blessing. And blessings to those who do not deserve those blessings. It's a wonder it is that God is pleased to do all of that for us. This isn't just something that God will do. He will bless us. But this is what God has decided He is pleased to do. This is what God wants to do. And therefore, that's what God does. He blesses. And so he is helping, and he is shielding, and he is blessing you and me, not because we are worthy of it, and not because we are better than others, not because we have done something to make ourselves deserve that blessing of God, but he is doing it simply because he, as your God, is pleased. To bless. That's what he delights to do. He finds joy and he finds pleasure in shielding and helping and blessing you and me. That's grace. The marvelous grace of God. Knowing and believing this concerning God, now we also, with the psalmist, confess it. First of all, we confess it to the world. You'll notice that is what the psalmist had in mind too. He mentions in verse 2 of this psalm, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? He was being questioned by the ungodly. Where is your God? We have our gods. We can see that. But where is your God? And this is his answer to them. Our God is in the heavens. And our God is the God who does whatsoever he is pleased to do. And so we confess that to the unbeliever. Let them know. Let them know concerning our God. Your unbelieving neighbor, your unbelieving relatives, the unbelievers that you work with, 
And they may mock. They likely will. But we will still tell them that our God is in the heavens and that our God does everything. And that that is the explanation for everything that takes place. He is sovereign. He has the right. He has the ability to do all things whatsoever he is pleased to do. The child of God is not ashamed to let others know that this is the explanation of everything. An explanation, too, that is the source of comfort and hope for us when everything seems to be going wrong in the world or in our own lives or even in the church. Confess it. But also, beloved, confess it to yourself. Confess it to yourself repeatedly. Confess it to yourself constantly. Confess it to yourself every day of your life. That you understand and you know that is much more difficult. But the confession of the believer who knows God because God has made himself known to you is God does all things, and God does what God is pleased to do. And God, therefore, is not my servant, who makes himself available, as it were, to fill my every wish, my every want that I might express to him. God is under no obligation to do what I ask God to do, even if my requests to him are good, and proper requests. God does not have to please me. God does not have to make me happy in this life. God does not have to do what I desire God to do. He has every right, and he has all the ability needed to do what he is pleased to do, what is pleasing to him. And that's what he will do. And that's what he is doing. That's what he is doing in my life. That's what he is doing in your life. And that's what he is doing so that he might be glorified and praised by us now and to all eternity as we confess not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory and honor and pray. That's difficult, yes. And that's difficult because so often when God does what pleases him, it isn't pleasant for us. But God is faithful, and God gives his grace and his spirit to his children. That's part of God helping and shielding 
and blessing us, as we saw from verses 9 and following. He will bless us. He will. And when He will bless us, when He will bless you and me, He will give you grace in Christ to confess this truth concerning Him and to confess this truth sincerely, to confess this truth with confident trust in Him. Grace to enable you to acknowledge Him and to acknowledge His good pleasure and to submit to His wise and His perfect way for you because He gives you faith to live by faith and not by sight. And grace, therefore, to have this as your perspective, who am I to question God? Who am I to think that I am wiser than God? Who am I to think that I have a better plan than God's plan for my life? Who am I to say that there is a better way for me to be prepared for glory than God's way? Who am I to say to God, Lord, do what I want you to do and not what thou art pleased to do? Instead, by faith we confess, God is Jehovah. He is my Lord and he is my God. He is my loving Father in Jesus Christ. And how can I ever think that the God who loves me and the God who in His love gave His own Son to redeem me unto Himself and who has saved me in Jesus Christ, how can I think that He would do anything but what is for my spiritual and my eternal blessing? He is my God. He is helping, and He is shielding, and He is blessing me as one who belongs to Christ. And so, beloved, believing that, may that be your joyful confession in all of life. Our God is in the heavens, and He has done whatsoever he has pleased to do. And he continues and will continue to do so. And that is good. Good for us. Because that is God's perfect way for us. Amen. Father in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy word. Apply it by the power of thy Holy Spirit to us so that we are comforted and empowered by thy Spirit to confess this and to put our confidence and trust in thee and thy goodness to us in Christ, thy purpose to bless, and thy directing all things for our eternal good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.